Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Good evening. I'm a church planter from Africa, and it's a wonderful privilege to be here this evening to just share with you what our God is doing on the African continent. And Claire, thank you for your faithfulness in serving God in Africa. You appreciate it. Um, a passage of scripture that was alluded to this evening, John 4 and verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe. For harvest. Um, in case they switch the sound off before I can finish, you can go to this website, intoafricaproject.org, and you can read up about what we do in Africa. Many testimonies are posted on this website, so you're welcome to go to this if they pull the plug on me before I'm finished. You know, in Africa, what we think about time? Nothing. There's two main political regions in Africa. There's North Africa, which comprises 10 Arab nations. They happen to be Islamic states. And then in sub-Saharan Africa, we have some 42 countries that are predominantly Christian and still worship traditional African religions. Where those two worlds begin to meet is a tension belt that stretches across the uh, Africa between the uh, 10th parallel and the equator, and then down East Africa. Where the kingdom of God is pushing up against the kingdom of darkness, that is where we're finding a lot of tension, a lot of conflict. These are the areas like Somalia, uh, Sudan, uh, Nigeria, and uh, many other places. And some some 20 African countries are represented in that tension belt. And it's our privilege as OMS International to be working in 13 of those 20 African countries. And our call is to strengthen the Christian witness against the onslaught of Islam from the north. And what we have done is as we've walked around Africa, we have seen that in sub-Saharan Africa, the church is pretty well represented. But as you leave the cities of sub-Saharan Africa and you go out into the villages, we find less and less churches. And when we do find those churches, we don't find that the pastors have been trained. So the challenge that we have as church planters in Africa is to train a new generation and multitudes of pastors for new churches around Africa. It's estimated that there's some four to 500,000 villages in Africa without a Christian witness, without a church. Four to 500,000. And simply, as we began to look at this problem, we realized that the church was just not doing enough to train up pastors for these potential churches. 
The average, the average age of a sub-Saharan African hovers around 45 years of age. And if we want to bring the gospel to these unreached villages, we're going to have to learn to accelerate the spread of the, uh, of the church and the training of pastors around Africa. And what we have done in OMS is to develop a program to try and do that. And our vision statement is simply to facilitate the church planting, uh, the planting of spiritually maturing churches around, churches around Africa by mobilizing the body of Christ to train indigenous church planters to start church planting movements. I want to say to you that in this day and age, God is doing a new thing through the phenomenon called church planting movements. It is a movement. It's a movement by the Spirit of God that comes and convicts the church that the only effective way of accomplishing the Great Commission is through the planting of daughter churches in unreached areas. And we're seeing that as we begin to tie into this movement, we can do great things for God. What we do is we've targeted these unreached village areas, these unreached, unchurched areas, and we set up training centers where we, 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 we believe that it's potentially possible to plant between 100 and 200 new churches. We partner with uh, denominations. They released experienced trainers, seminary graduates, experienced pastors, and we relocate them to these strategic centers to start planting churches. And we do it through the instructions that Jesus gave us in Matthew 10 and Luke 10. Exactly as he commissioned the 12 to go out, the 72 to go out, we commission our, our trainers to go out and do it the same way Jesus instructed. And I'll come back to that. So the process is simply, we have coordinators who then appoint tra trainers in strategic areas. They then go out applying the principles of Matthew 10 and Luke 10 to seek people of peace. They go into these villages seeking people of peace, going praying, going expecting that there is going to be a harvest, going and finding, finding people of peace, and through the people of peace, recruiting church planters from that village. They evangelize, recruit them, and then bring, bring a group of people around them together and begin to train them as church planter pastors. And this process is quite simply, let me do it again. He has a trainer. He goes out, he goes to 15 villages, finds 15 people of peace. Through the 15 people of peace, he finds 15 students. These students, we share the vision for church planting. We go and ask them to pray and see if God would call them to be a pastor of a church. We explain to them what that means. They go away and pray. And when they can come back with a clear and compelling call to church planting, to be a pastor in the, in the, in the village from where they come, we then enroll them as a student in the, in the program. And we begin to train them. But as we begin to train them, we tell them that in terms of 2 Timothy 2, we can only invest in faithful people. Remember 2 Timothy 2 verse 2? The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful people who are able to train others. So we expect our students, we want to invest in faithful students, we will continue to invest in them as long as they pass on the training. Faithful people who are able to train others. The Great Commission was about training. Go and train disciples. Train these disciples to obey all things. 
Training is the key to spreading the gospel around Africa. Training others to take the gospel around Africa. And we have been privileged to see that in the last six years, the statistics have changed since they asked me for the the CV about uh, 14 months ago. We're now working in 20 African nations. This represents 19. We're not showing some of our North African nations to you. Um, because we were sub-Saharan Africa, we've now skipped across the tension belt and we've gone far deeper into North Africa. And we um, have been able, in the last six years, up to the 15th of June, to plant 5,365 churches. That's 5.4 new churches every day. And not as good as KP the other evening with 17 churches every day, but 5.4 uh, new churches every day. And we now have a membership of 343,000 people represented in those, in those churches. And we are seeing God add 437 new members to those churches every day. And uh, that means that every church has a size of 64 members at the moment and growing. That is church members. The attendance would probably be closer to around 100. There's normally about 50% more attendance than, than members in these churches. This is a move of the Spirit of God across Africa. We work in the tension belt. We work amongst the Muslims. We work amongst fanatical Muslims. But God is at work. He says, look and see that there's a harvest field there. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will thrust out workers. We cannot pray that prayer unless we believe there's a potential harvest about us. When Jesus walked with his disciples, he saw people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved to compassion. With his physical eyes, he saw brokenness. He saw need. But in his spiritual eyes, he saw the future. He wasn't satisfied with the status quo. He saw what his father saw. He saw a harvest field. Therefore, Jesus would turn to his disciples and say, Pray the Lord of the harvest to thrust out workers. Part of, part of, being respond, or part of responding to a call is to have the faith to believe that when God does call us, He's calling us into a harvest field. If we don't believe there's a harvest field, we can't go and we can't be effective because we're suffering from the sin of unbelief. And I think the difference between what is happening in some pockets of the world and in other pockets of the world is this thing called unbelief. That sin that keep, kept Israel in the desert for 40 years because they were, they were offered to opportunity to go in to the promised land, but the sin of unbelief kept them out. We've seen radical church growth over the years in Africa. And someone said to me, well, Africa is different. Why is Africa different to Ireland? Is Satan's power stronger in Ireland than in Africa? No, no. I believe that there's a harvest field wherever there's workers who can truly play Lord of the harvest, thrust out workers. 
when people can truly pray that prayer with belief that workers are going to be mobilized for a harvest field, they will go into a harvest field. So we see numbers of churches being planted, generations of churches being planted, because these people believe in the power of the gospel. And so I think I'm going to stop there for a moment. I can, I can tell you a lot more and show you a lot more. But I want to take you back quickly to Luke 10. And let's see what Jesus said to his disciples. You can turn to Luke 10 if you want to, or if you trust me, I'll just tell you some of the things that Jesus said in, in, in Luke 10. And if I can find Luke 10, I'll get there. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus took his disciples on a ministry, short ministry trip, and they saw him at work. They told him to pray for the Lord of the harvest to thrust out workers, and lo and behold, some of those workers were the disciples themselves, and we see them being commissioned to go out in Matthew, I mean, yeah, in Matthew chapter 10. And between Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, there's about 42 instructions that were given to his disciples. And he said, Go and do the ministry this way. If you do the ministry this way, it will work. And it's amazing, you know. I, I, I come to a convention like this, and everybody that stands up here speaks and tells us that God, in fact, does honor his word. When he sends us, things do happen. When we go, I don't hear, hear missionaries coming back here after they being sent and said, no, God didn't actually come through for us, and it was a failure. It was a flop. They all come back with joy in their spirit and say, yes, it works. Look at, look at Luke 10 there. After this, the Lord, Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of them to every town and place where he was about to go. So if we, we do exactly the same. We send our workers to find people of peace two by two, as the scripture said, and as they go, they are to believe the, the second sentence. He says, he told them the harvest, full is, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So as they to go out, so they, to are they, so they are to pray for workers. In Tanzania... We were working in, 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 in Muslim villages along the, the east coast of the, of the nation. And there was fanatical uh, imam who were leading uh, the Muslims in, in these communities. One of the villages we couldn't get in because they were persecuting us. But, the, but, the, but, the, but those church planters in faith just stopped, got on their knees and continued to pray day after day, that in this village that the Lord of the harvest would thrust out a worker. And one day, the imam was leading the mosque prayers on a Friday. And as he was doing so, he fell down unconscious during prayers. The folk took him to the clinic. The clinic couldn't diagnose anything, so they took him to the hospital, the local hospital. The local hospital did the test. They could find nothing wrong. And they sent him back with his wife and family to die. And he sickened. And he deteriorated. Then, one day, his wife walked into the room. 
And after tending to him, she switched on the radio. And the only thing that this imam heard was that the touch of Jesus still heals. In his weak and feeble state, he lifted his hand out and he simply said, Touch me, Jesus. And as he said that word, in that instance, he was totally healed. Totally and gloriously healed. And today that imam is a pastor in the same village where he used to be an imam. To God's honor and glory. So the workers pray and we ask God to thrust out workers and so they do. And then he said in verse 3 here, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst the wolves. It's not going to be easy as you go. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be dangerous. And on occasions it is difficult and it is dangerous. But it's doable. It's doable. It might be difficult, but it's doable. Because God promises that it's doable. Otherwise he wouldn't send us. Because he gives us all authority, all the power we need to accomplish his mission. Um, In Matthew 10, um, it actually says this. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. In the year 2001, I was in Kinshasa, and as I was standing on the, on the river, banks of the Congo River, a group of army soldiers marched up to me, demanded to see my passport. I gave them my passport, they looked through it, and when they saw that I had a visa for Rwanda, they immediately arrested me. They took off their machine guns and they poked it in my ribs and all I could understand was that I was under arrest. And then they began to nudge me through the streets of Kinshasa, marching me down the streets of Kinshasa. I was angry. I felt humiliated. But then I remembered that I should pray. And then I remembered that as I prayed, a great peace and calm came, up, uh, came across me. I remember sitting in the detention room while they were interrogating me as being a spy for the, Ru- the Rwandese government. And they were angry at me. They were shouting. But the peace of God came across me. And I began to speak with an unusual authority. Not only did I begin to speak with an unusual authority, God gave me an unusual ability to communicate in languages that I didn't understand normally. I was able to speak to them and communicate to them and tell them who I was, that I was an ambassador for the Prince of Peace and I was about his business. And it was eventually resolved the situation and I was released. And then, what what does Matthew 10 say about this? It says there, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And I can testify to that fact today, that God honors his word. Verse 4 says, Do not take a purse or bag or sandal and and do not greet anyone on the road. So often, Young folk, older folk, you can't go because you say you don't have the money to go. This passage says to me, leave your money behind. 
Go needy. That is the qualification for going. If you've got no money, that's great, because that's a criteria that you meet in God's kingdom. You can go. You go needy. That's what the scripture teaches. You don't first collect money in big packets and then say, well, now I can go because I have everything I need. No. It says here, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and not, do not greet anyone on the road. Just go. So being needy is a qualification for going. When it says here, don't greet anybody on the road, that's not saying being rude to the people on, en route to the mission field. It just says go with purpose, stay focused. Because in this day and age, that, you know, greetings could last three days, three weeks, and it could delay the end goal. So yes, Jesus was saying to them, just keep focused on what you do. You can greet people, but don't stay and don't delay. Go. It's an urgent task we're about. Ah, verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If you go to Matthew 10, when it tells us to go, it says here clearly, it says here, whatever town, verse 11 in Matthew 10, whatever town or village you enter, search, not make, search for some worthy person and stay in that house until you leave. This is liberating to me. I'm going. I'm not going to have to do anything. I'm not going to have to make anything, make convert. All I'm going to do is go looking for a person of peace, a worthy home to settle in. Liberating. This is saying that the Father is always at work. The Father is always about his business. He is preparing people for us who will go. We don't have to do it. We have to go and find where the Father's at work. When we find where the Father's at work, that's our invitation to receive the hospitality of that person and we minister to that particular person who will receive us. It's called a person of peace. If a man of peace is there, verse 6 in Luke 10, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. So we teach our planters. Go looking for the person of peace. When you go and you find a person of peace, they're receptive to you. They're not going to argue against you because God's at work in their lives. They're hungering and thirsting like the Samaritan woman to know more. And peace settles on the relationship. And so when we go into that household, we ask the peace of God to come upon that household, the peace of God to come upon the relationships, the peace of God to come upon the whole family, and then we go in. And if this is truly our person of peace, peace settles there. And through this peace, we can begin to a relationship with this person of peace. And that person of peace is going to be a person of influence who can open up these unreached villages to us. Sometimes these people of peace are the chiefs. Sometimes they're imam. Sometimes they, they're business people. Sometimes they're just respected elders. But every time you find a person of peace, it's a person who's got incredible influence to unlock the gates so that we can get into the towns and get into, the, into these villages and get into the people's hearts and lives. It says there then, stay in that house. I receive the hospitality of that person of peace. That's why I don't have to take anything with me. 
If I drive in there with my 4 by 4 my generators, my tents, and, and I get to that village, how can a poor villager offer me hospitality? When I go needy, they receive me and bring me in and offer me the opportunity to begin to relate with them and to them. Stay in that house eating whatever you do. Do not move around from house to house. Invest in the person. When you enter the town and are not okay, before I get there, it says a little later that as we get there, we are to, in Matthew 10, it will tell us, as we get there, we take with us the kingdom of God. Our very presence represents the kingdom of God. And as we get there, we've told to first heal the sick. Now, we teach, our, we teach our, our church partners, you pray for the sick and expect God to come down in miraculous ways and heal these brothers and sisters. And then we tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you today. Behold, the kingdom of God is here. And we begin to tell them about the kingdom of God. We begin to stay with them, invest our time with them. And so, the kingdom of God begins to spread through that household through that person's network of friends and relationships. And so it spreads through the village. And soon those communities come to Christ in a wonderful, marvelous way. When you're not welcome, it says you're to leave. You're to shake the dust off your shoes and move on. In Africa, we have now planted 5,300-odd churches as of 15th of June. I know of two instances where we were not able to find people of peace and we had to move on. Only two instances. In every other instance, we have found the people of peace. When we don't, we shake off the dust of our feet and move on. And even though I'm told exactly what I'm to tell them, Yet be sure of this, I'm to say to them, yet be sure of this, even though I'm going and not welcome, the kingdom of God was near to you. So even if you reject me, it doesn't matter, because in my coming, I brought the gospel light to you. The kingdom of God came near to you. And so, you reject me, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this village that rejects me. Why? Because in my coming, I bring the gospel of grace. I bring the light. When Sodom rejected God, it didn't have that opportunity. It didn't have the same light as we are able to take in this day and age to the unreached. Woe to you, Colossian. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been formed in Tyrosan, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable on, for Tyre and Sidon on that day of judgment. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you, he who listens to a church planter, listens to Jesus, to me. He who rejects you, Rejects me, said Jesus. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. We empower our church planters and our trainers. 
We tell them that they go representing the king of kings and when they speak, they speak the very words as if they were coming from the king of kings and when the king of kings is, is rejected, then woe for that city. Woe for that village. But verse 17 of Luke 10 says, the 72 returned with joy. No stories about failure here. They returned with joy. Lord, even the demons submit to you as us in your name. And then Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He saw the kingdom advance. And in Africa, he's seeing the kingdom advance. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord in heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. These truths in this passage will remain hidden from all who've never practiced it. All who've never experienced this, this will be a veil store across your eyes. But when you do this, that veil will be taken off and you will know the power and authority of the sent ones. Yes, Father, this was for your good pleasure. I'm wondering, what's the difference between Africa and Europe? What's the difference between Africa and Ireland? Are these principles only for Africa and for Asia? Or is this truth also for Northern Ireland? If this is true for Northern Ireland, then there's a harvest field waiting. It's as simple as that. Because everybody who goes will give testimony to the telling power contained in these truths. They will not come back disappointed. If this is the word of God, it's applicable for Europe. It can be done. Maybe we need to change our tactics, but you cannot change the principal truths in this book. Moses, after 40 years in the desert, and with this I'll close. Moses, 40 years in the desert. Before the desert experience, he thought he could do missions. And he made a flock. He went out and spent 40 years minding sheep. God came down to see him in that burning bush experience. And God said to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen the misery of my people. Now go, I'm going to send you. And this evening, for some of you, this is your burning bush experience. When the Spirit of God comes down and hovers over this place this evening, 
And God will say to you, I have heard the cries of my people held in captivity here in Ireland. I have seen their misery. Now go, I'm sending you. Moses made excuse after excuse after excuse about going. And every time, God had an answer for him. I just want to go to one of those excuses. God said to Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses was holding his staff. And that staff represented who he was. He was a shepherd. This was his security. This was what he's been for 40 years. This gave him identity. And God said to him, lay it down. And let me show you how I can transform it into an instrument for my kingdom purposes. And when he laid it down, it turned into an instrument that Moses could use for God's kingdom purposes. Many of us won't go because we're holding on to things. Unbelief. Careers. Families, studies, holding on to things saying, this I've got to do. These are my plans. These are my objectives. I can't lay this down because this represents who I am. And God says, go. I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard their misery. I've seen their misery. Go. Lay it down. And I will transform it into an instrument that will transform you and your life and your ministry. What is it that you're holding in your hand that's preventing you from responding to God's call this evening? All I can say, lay it down. Jesus had to lay his life down. Is it too costly? For us to lay down our securities and watch them transform for God and his kingdom. God bless you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.